Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast, I'm Ian Irving and as this summer's transfer window appears to have kicked into overdrive already, on today's show we'll be taking a closer look at how the Winter World Cup might be responsible. To do that I'm joined by a couple of the Athletic's big hitters, senior writer Don Fifield and our Spurs and England correspondent Jack Pitt-Brook. We'll also touch on some of the big news stories from the last couple of days and point you in the right direction of some essential reading before we're through. But Don, let's kick things off. You've written a piece all about this on the Athletic at the minute. Essentially, is it all about regular game time for players ahead of Qatar now? Yeah, essentially. I mean, people, or footballers target World Cups. They see them as massive opportunities in, the, in their careers. Um, they may only get one opportunity to, to feature for their country at a major finals like this. So the calendar is obviously a bit altered this year, given that the World Cup is taking place from November to mid-December. So the first six months or five months of the coming season are critical. Players need to be getting regular game time in that, getting a rhythm of matches, form and fitness together so that they go to Qatar with their national teams, peak form, peak fitness, basically, so they can hit the, the ground running and achieve what they want to achieve on that stage. Now, for most players, and there are key players at most Premier League clubs, I suppose, who who will expect to be at that tournament, you know, seasoned internationals. But for for players who maybe don't feel quite as secure at their clubs and are not going to be, they're going to be on the fringes. They're not going to be playing every week. You know, they might be the the players that feature more often in the League Cup than they do the Premier League, for example. Um, or they play in the group games in the Champions League and they don't feature domestically at the weekends. Um, those guys are going to worry about whether they are going to be in that that uh, that rhythm in in that uh, in in peak form as they hit that tournament and and indeed some of them are going to even fret about their you know their selection for the for the final cut uh, from their national sides as well so that all comes into the thinking and the summer window is their last opportunity to to guarantee themselves game time if they feel they're going to be on the fringes of a major club or they're just not going to get the game time at their current team so you know, I spoke to a couple of agents on this and a couple of um, directors of football and at Premier League clubs, and they all anticipate a, a sit- situation, a scenario this summer, where you might get some players who normally wouldn't consider a move to, a, say, a lesser Premier League team or a, or a lesser team on the continent. But because it's a World Cup year and because that tournament is happening mid-season, they might consider this move sideways, even back down, um, just to guarantee them game time to ensure they get to that tournament. Yeah, and I guess the fact that it's six months away rather than 12 months away, it makes all of these decisions uh, a little bit more pertinent, perhaps. I mean, Jack, we spoke a lot on the last podcast 
about Raheem Sterling and his future and the interest that Chelsea have in him. If people haven't listened to that, I'll point you in the direction of the, the podcast feed. It's an essential listen from earlier on in the week. But is he a classic example of a player looking for game time to guarantee himself a spot in the World Cup? Yeah, I think so. I think Sterling has clearly been slipping slowly down the pecking order at City for at least the last two years, really. And while so far that hasn't affected his place with England, like he's continued to be a really important first team player for Gareth Southgate, that doesn't necessarily mean that it, it would never do that. It doesn't mean that, you know, let's say, for example, if Grealish had a great start to the next season and Foden and Saka and maybe Marcus Rashford started scoring again, then all of a sudden Gareth Southgate might start to think, well, you know, would I really keep on starting Sterling even if he's never playing for City? So I think yeah. in that sense it makes it does make sense that Sterling might want to make a move where he thinks he will play more because he doesn't want to be going into Qatar, you know, having not having barely played any football or barely scored a goal all season. And Rashford's a good example to him, really, isn't he? And Jaden Sancho at Old Trafford as well. Yeah, completely. Like Rashford, between, between, I reckon, if you look at the time between, say, the 2018 World Cup and the 2021 Euros, Rashford was arguably England's best player. Like Rashford scored, I think, eight or nine goals in that time span. And was playing alongside Sterling and Kane in that front three, and was you know was scoring more goals from, than Sterling, and was looking like a better player. But now, obviously, Rashford has fallen out of the pitch with Man United, which means he's not in the England squad anymore. And so, I think Sterling will be thinking, "Hold on a second, you know, just because I'm in the team now doesn't mean I'll be in the team forever." Those are those are quite experienced international players that we're, we're, we're talking about on that. Maybe not Sancho, but but Rashford has a lot of caps, and obviously Sterling's got seventy seven caps, I think, with England. Um, one that intrigued me, and the decision making that he 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 will have this summer is Conor Gallagher. He's a, a young player um, who has not played in the Premier League for his parent club for Chelsea. Has had a on the back of a series of loans and a very successful one at Crystal Palace last season. I think he played thirty five Premier League matches last season. And got himself into the England pitcher, earned his first caps. He's now, he's now in Gareth Southgate's squad. He was for the Nations League um, debacle just 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 finished. He, to all intents and purposes, is going back to Chelsea this summer to to gain a place in Thomas Tuchel's first team. He he believes in himself. He thinks that he will force his way into that thinking. He's got glowing reports from his loan spell, and Thomas Tuchel loves him from what he's seen. However, we don't know whether Conor Gallagher is going to necessarily hold down a regular first team place at Chelsea where and he's only got half a season hasn't exactly. he as well to do that which again makes it more urgent for yeah, him yeah so so what does he do if 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 come the end of pre-season um he he starts a couple of the first couple of premier league matches and remember the transfer window goes until the 1st of september so it's pretty much a month into the into the premier league season if he's lost his place then he's suddenly become a fringe player and he's only looking at champions league group games occasionally League Cup ties, etc. Before Christmas, as as his regular involvement, what does he do? Does he does he push for a loan move that will take him maybe up to January the first, or does he push for a, a year long loan with a break clause in the middle, or does he just take a year long loan just to get that game time again and make sure that he has matches, whether that be at Palace, whether that be at Everton, wherever you know there will be interest out there in taking him on. But it's a it's a real dilemma because this is a this is a kid who who sees his long term future at Chelsea, but. The World Cup being in mid-season this winter has almost made him concentrate his mind and think, well, if I don't make it, what am I going to do now? And I guess part of the problem would be, let's say Chelsea want to have Gallagher there as you know 
as competition, as backup, whatever, for the season. Yeah. And then we get a few games in and it's clear that he's not going to play much. And then Gallagher goes, hypothetically, if Gallagher were to go to Chelsea and say, look, I want you know six or 12 month loan to mid-table Premier League team here. I don't really see what incentive Chelsea have got to say yes. True. You know, Chelsea might just say no because why, you know, they want him around in case yeah. Mount or Havertz or whoever gets injured. So it's, I think it's going to be really, really tough unless players are going to, you know, put their foot down now, I guess. And if you if you listen to Thomas Tuchel over the course of last season, when he was asked about Gallagher, every single time he was asked about him, it was always, he, he responded with a sense of regret that he wasn't there. He wanted him at that club. So it almost seems inconceivable that he would let him, he would sanction his departure on another loan move um, come September. But, you know, this is this is going to be a little conflict almost potentially. I mean, look, Conor Gallagher might be brilliant at the start of the season and, and fully justify his inclusion in, in Chelsea's first team. I think he's got the, the quality to do that but but it's there's a risk involved yeah and it's an example isn't it, it, it take away his name put another name in there are other players in this sort of situation and it's interesting to hear international managers talking about this issue as well you mentioned in your report Dom about Roberto Martinez and, and warning players that that moves elsewhere could be detrimental to their chances of making the World Cup if you don't hit the ground running uh, the new place and the effect that it can have on a, on a player's all-round game and their state of mind and everything else. Also, Louis van Gaal, Jack, has been extremely outspoken about Jurian Timber in particular and a potential move to Manchester United. If he went to somewhere like Manchester United and maybe did not play in the first team at, straight away, then uh, World Cup hopes in December. Then, then he's not so uh, uh, yeah <laughs> wise, I think. To go to Manchester United. Yes. Thank you. Jochen has to play. Warning him that if he goes there and doesn't play regularly, he's not going to be in his team for the World Cup. I mean, there might be something personal, perhaps, between Van Gaal and, and Manchester United. But again, it's an example of a, a of an issue that an international manager is is saying this sort of thing to a player. The the Dutch national team is quite an interesting one because they've obviously got some very good players who grow up in Holland and then you know maybe come to England or other countries and sometimes they go on and be big stars but then sometimes they don't and I mean a really good example of that is Steven Bergwijn like Berg, you know Tottenham bought Bergwijn from PSV Eindhoven what two and a half years ago and he's obviously a very talented player but he's not really had a run in the Spurs team certainly not recently under Conte and he every time he plays for Holland he does really really well but equally I think he he's a classic example of a player who must be thinking I've got to be playing more football before Qatar I don't want to fall off the radar um, so Ajax tried to buy him in January. Tottenham couldn't quite agree, agree a deal with them. Ajax, I think, are back in for him again this summer. I think it's, to be honest, best for all parties if Bergwijn does get Ajax this summer. But I bet Van Gaal, there must, you know, for every but underneath Bergwijn, there'll be a, you know half a dozen other players who Van Gaal must be thinking about. You know, some of these guys do have uh, these guys need to be playing football in the next six months. You know, now is maybe not the best time to go and take a gamble about going to Man United. And for, for a lot of them, maybe it does make sense to take half a step down uh, just to make sure that they're playing football between now and November. Nathan Aki is another Dutch player, Dom, that you wrote about. Yeah, look, and he's he's had a bit part filling in role at Manchester City really since he joined there. I mean, he's never been a he's never going to be a first team regular. I wouldn't have thought, as in you know, the first name on the team sheet when it comes to the uh, to the back line. So, I mean, he will he will presumably want first team football somewhere, and there'll be no shortage of interest in him. He's a player that will have suitors, and 
he will be confident that he will be able to to get game time if he's allowed to leave City. Otherwise, he's he's looking at what ten substitute appearances for City if they don't have injuries at the back between now and November when the when the squads are allowed to have their one week's preparation ahead of the the finals in Qatar. <laughs> I mean, it, there are loads of them. I thought Martinez's comments were quite interesting. They were made just just before the Nations League games um, took place, and I think a lot of people read into them that he was talking about youngsters like I think it's Charles de Quetelera who's at uh, Club Bruges um, and has been linked with a, a move abroad and he's playing regularly there at Bruges and, and if he went abroad maybe he wouldn't get that game time at the start of the season but it equally could apply to a player of 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 top quality established quality like Yuri Tielemans I mean he, that's a player who's entering his last 12 months of his contract at Leicester City Um Again, no shortage of suitors. People want him. He's he's a he's a quality player. But is he going to? Is it? Does it make more sense? Certainly for Martinez and possibly for Tielemans to stay in an environment that he knows, he understands, he knows he's going to play. He knows the system he's going to play, um, and he knows he'll excel at it because he's a very very good player. Um, and do that for the next six months, effectively for twelve months for this for this final year of his contract. Or does he risk it? And go and try and break into a new system, in new surroundings, possibly in a new country, a new culture. Um, and these sort of unsettling effect that might have on his football, you know, in the five months leading up to the biggest tournament potentially of his career. I mean, it's when you put it in that way, there's a logic to what Roberto Martinez is saying. Stay put, concentrate on the on getting your club form right so you can go to the uh, the World Cup and excel. Tielemans is a really good example of why it might have, why it might really it might pay to be kind of risk averse at this point. Like it's not really a good time for players to be to be jumping ship and tr- or tr- trying to jump upwards. If you know what I mean, like it, it makes sense to take a sideways or downwards step. Like for example, I mean, you know, people might disagree that saying going from Tottenham to Ajax is a downward step, but in the kind of football in the football economics food chain it is a downward step going from Tottenham to Ajax Takumi Minamino is a good example of that at the moment as well moving to Monaco you'd expect that I know he's not played much for Liverpool but with his pedigree uh, you'd think that maybe a move higher than Monaco could be on the cards but perhaps he's got an eye on on guaranteed football despite you writing Dom correctly that he's got 17 goals in 42 caps so it'd be a very brave manager to leave him out of the Japanese squad you'd get these Sort of almost like outliers. I mean, there are people who are more regular for their international teams than they are for their club sides, and that's just the way it, way it is. Maybe they're, they're they're big fish in small ponds when they play for their countries, and they're small fish in big ponds when they play for their clubs. Uh, he played. I think he started one Premier League game at, at uh, Liverpool last season. Uh, that was at Southampton, right in the running. Um, 176 minutes of Premier League football last season, and and yet he's whatever happened to him whether he goes to Monaco or not whether he stays at Liverpool and remains on the fringes he will be in the Japan squad the issue that he'll have is that he will be rusty he won't necessarily be in that sort of rhythm of games and his fitness might not be what he'd want it to be um, in, in normally going to a World Cup so uh, that that's the dilemma that he faces and maybe that's what's persuading him that a move to Monaco might be beneficial Minamino like whether it's Minamino or Bergwijn or whatever it it seems more like this is a time to move down the economic pyramid of football rather than up it like it would be a brave player to move up the economic pyramid now hmm. because um, you know those are the moves where you never quite know how it's going to land and um, it might not be the best idea to jump into an environment where you're going to be playing less 
rather than more over the next kind of uh, over the next six months. As a wider point, Dom, how important do you think the World Cup is in the amount of early transfer movement that we've seen across this summer? Do you, do you think that's a key reason why deals have been sorted and 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 so early, or do you think it's the fact that the season starts early and you've literally got what four or five games in August before the transfer window even shuts, and you want everyone in place early to to get your preparations for the season straight? I think for clubs it's probably the latter we've got a situation where EFL clubs are coming back to pre-season training this week they start their their season before the end of July which you know I still can't get my head around to be honest it's it's bizarre Uh, the Premier League a week later and I think most Premier League clubs come back to pre-season training next week so it's Monday the 27th of June um, which again is is remarkable so managers and head coaches out there always want to work through pre-season with as many of the players that are going to be in their squad for the season ahead as possible. Um, and I think that probably explains why the clubs that can and have the resources um, have been able to go out and do business early. I mean, talking about, I mean, Liverpool, Man City, whatever they're the, they're the big ones, but Aston Villa, likewise, um, to a certain extent, Leeds United have, have gone out and got players early. Yeah. Tottenham Hotspur as well, as Jack would know. Um, the, the agents I spoke to and, and, and the sporting directors were all sort of saying that you sort, they always come into two categories, clubs. There, there, are, there are those that can do that because they have the money to do that and do their business early, and that's great because they're set up with them for the start of the season. And the others have to be more pragmatic. They, they, they approach it along the lines of, OK, player X is going to cost me so much now, but if I wait two weeks that price might come down and it might come down a bit, not not a huge amount, but it will come down a bit and that will give us more scope to, to add to our squad elsewhere. So we wait and we wait. And that's why you see a lot of the the middle ranking pre- to lower ranking Premier League clubs um, who maybe want to fine tune rather than completely revamp their squads. They'll probably end up doing their business late anyway. So it may well be that August is a bit of a frenzy and that we don't actually see a... A, a, a squad that is reflective of what the a team and squad will be over the course of a season until September the second, basically. Yeah, Jack, that is an interesting aspect as well. The fact that these clubs could have played four games, five games, whatever it ends up being, and have a real chance to look at what they've got before the transfer window shuts, because some seasons you might only have a couple of matches and that's it. Whereas this really gives you a true sense of exactly what you're going to need if you don't already know it. Yeah, and of course there was that. Um, <clears throat> am I right in thinking that what was it? We had two years, was it, Don, of um, the window shutting before the yeah, season started? Right. Yeah, yeah, um, which I think was one of those things which was a really good idea in principle, but ultimately unworkable in practice. Like I think it is a really good idea because in of Europe as well, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. Like yeah, we, it just you know, made we are, English clubs we are in- interconnected to European football completely. Uh, but I do think, like, mor- like morally and principally, it is much better to have it that way around. You know, to stop tra- to have no transfers during the course of the season because it distracts players. Uh, I think it's also kind of vaguely unfair on fans to have fans shelling out fifteen hundred quid or whatever for a season ticket for a team that is a work in progress. Um, I think it's it's really disruptive when you see players who are obviously like angling for a move at the start of the wind at sorry at the end of the window, they're pretending to be injured or whatever, uh, so they can get their move. They go on strike like we've seen it a billion times. I don't need to name names. Um, so 
Like, I, but unfortunately, it's not really workable unless everybody in Europe works in unison on this. If other countries are not going to work in unison on it, then obviously England has to kind of step back into line with the European leagues. Um, so yeah, unfortunately, we're going to get a very long kind of lag at the or overlap at the start of at, at the start of this season and the end of the at the end of the window. I imagine lots of teams will be thinking, "Hold on a second, this new guy reports rubbish, isn't he? This new <laughs> right back's terrible. Have we, have, we, have we still got any of the phone numbers for those guys that we nearly <laughs> thought about in May?" <laughs> Yeah, you can see that happening quite easily, can't you? Uh, Dom, another aspect of the piece I wanted to talk to you about was it's not just a consideration for the players, is it? The impact that the World Cup's going to have being in winter. Also, you wrote about the club directors and heads of recruitment who were looking at new different ways to do loan deals and short-term deals with players with, with, with an eye maybe on the, the fact that these players want to move for the World Cup. Yeah, the, sh- the short-term deals are probably um, for, for players whose who's primary aim and, and ambition is to feature at the World Cup and, and they may be out of contract now and I'm talking I mean they're really exceptions that the people like Gareth Bale and Danny Alves who's just being released by Barcelona for a second time and there are clubs in, in Brazil that, that might might take him on um, to play the second half of their season which would lead up potentially to for a 39 year old to make the Brazil squad for, for Qatar um, Bale's situation as well Advertise and we've we've written about it extensively on the athletic. Um, the loan deals. The, there was a sense, I think, amongst certainly amongst re- recruitment people um, and and agents that this summer might sort of see the loan numbers um, drop a bit. That that we we would get to a situation that this was this was all to do with the restrictive finances from the pandemic and that people were having to be pragmatic and and find innovative ways of 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 bringing players in on short-term basis during that two-year period and that this year there'd be a lot more permanent deals and that money would be spent more more regularly as it's transpired so far that hasn't really materialized and so we're still in a situation where you're getting season-long loans with obligations to buy and make them permanent at the end or or season-long loans with options You've got bizarre situations like Romelu Lukaku going back to to Inter Milan for a hefty loan fee, but you know, in the context of the transfer fee that brought him to Stamford Bridge last summer, I mean, it's minuscule. Um, Huge and, and pay cut as well for Lukaku. It sounds to make it to make it work. I mean, just shows the desperation that he had to mm. to leave Chelsea and, and and go back to Inter Milan and, and and try and thrive there, and possibly with the World Cup in. In mind on that front as well, although I suspect there were other reasons, and and his for his state of mind, he needed to get get back to somewhere where he knew he could do well um, when he was comfortable. Um, but but yeah, clubs are having to explore those options, and I mean that's happening everywhere, and and and, and it, it creates problems, solutions, and on one point, but also problems because you're getting scenarios. One one that was related to me was that there there was a player at a quite a big. European club who was being chased by a Premier League side for a loan um, for the year with an obligation or yeah an obligation to buy for a set amount, and the selling club is paranoid that this particular player is going to have a brilliant World Cup and the deal they strike for him now is going to make them look stupid come next summer because of the fee. <laughs> There's that another agreed. aspect. Yeah, I mean it's they're having to take all this into account and it's it's just. It's making negotiations more complicated, more intricate, um, but actually quite 
more entertaining and, and fascinating, to be honest. There will be some really, really clever and creative ways of getting these moves um, done before the window closes, that's for sure. Jack, in terms of players moving and and sort of, like Dom's saying there, maybe people making moves that you you wouldn't necessarily expect or in ways that you wouldn't necessarily expect. I mean, Gareth Bale, just to home in on one example... His situation, leaving a club like Real Madrid after what he's done there, okay, he's not played as much in recent times. He had the loan at at Tottenham as well. But there's been reports even that he could even play for Cardiff in the Championship just to ensure that he's okay and and ready to to play for Wales at the World Cup. What would you do if you were him? I think Bale's a, a rare, maybe a unique example of a player who, from the outside, it appears as if he has basically deprioritized his club career not just in not just over the last few weeks, but really over the last few years, with the goal of getting Wales to the 2022 World Cup uh, and also to the last Euros, which he successfully did. Real Madrid pulled the plug on his move to Jiangsu Suning in 2019, so that's three years ago, since when he's barely been a Real Madrid first team. He's had one year on loan at Tottenham where he played a little bit. He's clearly, you know, if he cared... If he cared more about playing club football all the time, he could have made that happen. He obviously hasn't done that. So I wouldn't expect him to... I think he's a player who is not desperate to be playing once a week, even twice a week for his club between now and the World Cup. Uh, because, you know, he, he's Wales' greatest ever player. He's not suddenly going to find himself out of the team if he's not playing football. Uh, and that means I think something, maybe something like Cardiff does make sense. Like, he just want you know, a comfortable environment where he can train and stay fit and play a bit when he needs to play. But not, I can't see him going back to another elite club. I can't see him going back to a sort of Real Madrid or Tottenham level team. It just doesn't really make sense. But equally, I think there's not many other players like that out there. I mean, you mentioned Dani Alves earlier. Maybe Dani Alves is a similar example. But even then, I imagine Dani Alves probably needs competition and to prove himself more than Bale does. Um, so I think Bale, I think Bale is, is the kind of, he's the one guy that really stands out from all these examples we've looked at. Do you not think there's any damage at all, Dom, to him stepping down to championship level in terms of being ready for the World Cup from from his perspective and playing at a level that that he needs to 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 be ready to to lead Wales into that tournament? Well, no, not really, because he's not playing much as it is. So I think anything he played at Cardiff City in the Championship would be better than you know being on the fringes at Real Madrid and getting the odd five minutes here and there, um, and you know. Six, in amidst the golf that he's playing over there, so I mean, it's it's. It, I, I think that I think that's there's an emotional tie as well with with Cardiff, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, that, that's. I think that would actually be quite a quite a nice story, really, and it it might get his juices flowing to a certain extent. I I, I should probably, you know, caveat all that with. I don't think he'll he if he went to Cardiff City that and say Cardiff City had. 24 games between now and, and November. I don't think he'll be playing in all of them. I mean, he might make double figures just about, but I mean, I can't imagine that Gareth Bale is going to be playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday at uh, at Cardiff in the Championship. I think I think he would manage his his workload quite shrewdly and quite cleverly. And I think any team that brought him on uh, would probably have to take that into account when they're negotiating the contract with him because. <laughs> You know, maybe do a pay as you play or something like that to to get him in the in the door. Um, you know, because I don't think he's, with the greatest of respect, I don't think Gareth Bale is going to be prioritising a Tuesday night away at Rotherham United um, in the Championship in the build up to the to the World Cup. But you know, it's 
maybe maybe, I, maybe I'm being unfair on him. Maybe I'm definitely being unfair on Rotherham United. But but uh, but yeah, it's. Uh, I think it would be. It would again. It would be an innovative, creative, and clever move. Would there not be Premier League clubs interested though, Jack? I don't want to say no, but you, you face is saying no. I know people yeah, can't say that, that. But well, as Dom says, it's not. It's not like you're getting a Gareth Bale who would be desperate to win every game and go in for every tackle. Like, I don't think the issues with Bale's... I mean, look, it took Bale a long time to get up to speed when he was at Tottenham on loan last season, or the season before last. Um, so I don't think he could instantly come in and be, and hit the ground running. I also don't think he could be an effect, a very effective impact sub because he would need that time to get fit. And if you're playing like Premier League football, is so it's so physically quick and it's so intense, and also the calendar is ridiculous between now and uh, between now and the World Cup. Like there, there's lots and lots of midweek Premier League games, there's midweek European games, Carabao Cup, all the rest of it. So I just think that if you were a Premier League team, let's say Southampton, his old team from a long time ago, and you got Gareth Bale, you wouldn't be getting. I don't. I just don't think you'd be getting a Gareth Bale who would be desperate to. Bust a gut twice a week for the team and all the kind of complex pressing instructions and the very high pace of, of the foot of the football and opposition right backs who'd be jumping into tackles, risk and you know at risk of injury. Given the way that Bale's really played over the last few years, I think I, it's not that I don't think he's good enough. It's that I don't think he would. It would be sufficiently high in his priorities that it really makes sense for a Premier League team. Because I think you you wouldn't be getting a Gareth Bale who's desperately motivated to win you games. You'd be getting a Gareth Bale who's thinking, uh, you know, about Iran, England and USA in, in Group B at the World Cup. And how am I going to stay fit? How am I going to, like, time my training in order to be to peak at the right time? All that kind of stuff. Like, I, I think that that's just the reality of the situation as I see it. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Of course, all the latest on Gareth Bale will be on The Athletic, so keep your eyes peeled for news on his future. But we're going to take a look at another case study. This one not a player, this one from the boardroom. Chelsea have now confirmed the news that David Ornstein brought us on The Athletic on Tuesday that Marina Granovskaya will be departing Stamford Bridge. It's also been confirmed that Todd Bowley will be the interim sporting director for this summer transfer window. And Dom, I wonder how much you think this will affect Chelsea in this window? Well, she's effectively been running the club, certainly on the recruitment side, uh, for for pretty much a decade now. Um, she's she's built up the contacts. She she knows the the, the movers and shakers, etc., from within within football and the industry, and so she was a real asset for Chelsea. How, however, she was only an asset if she was allowed to do what she was good at which was the negotiations. And I get the impression that, that maybe that isn't what's been happening quite so much since Bowley Clearlake took over at Chelsea over the summer. They're taking a sort of hands-on role when it comes to recruitment and, you know, they're, they're relying more on what Thomas Tuchel is, is, is pushing for, you know, the type of players that he wants in the squad. And it hasn't, it hasn't reaped too many rewards yet, but I suspect there's quite a lot happening behind the scenes um, and there will be a rush of Chelsea transfers before the start of the season. I anticipate, I think everybody anticipated Granovskaya being in situ this summer, possibly through to possibly through to the winter window, but but primarily this summer, because it would help the transition. It would allow somebody who had those contacts to to bring in the players and and to and what is quite a big summer for Chelsea because you know they've had high profile people leaving the club. And they've got a lot of work to do in terms of recruitment, but but clearly the first few weeks of Bowley Clearlake at the club and 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 Granovsky being there, it hasn't the the well the dynamic hasn't been right. I mean that's that's the only conclusion you can draw from this early departure. It probably is quite significant, and we should acknowledge the fact that that Chelsea have announced that that Marina Granovsky will be available to Todd Bowley to help him out during the current transfer window for advice, etc. Um, to, and support him over, you know, as he attempts to sort of negotiate a, an unfamiliar market. Um, so we shouldn't just concentrate on on some of the what would be deemed failures, effectively, of the the last few months of her her tenure. I mean, the, the people will always pick out pick holes in in Chelsea recruitment, in, as they do in any club, and there were there have been difficult times, most notably under Conte in the summer of twenty seventeen. When they bought a lot of players, I mean that was a sort of Danny Drinkwater summer, Tiamu Bakayoko summer. Um, of late, I think losing Christensen and Rudiger on, on free transfers, that's not good. That's not clever business. So that counts against her. And obviously the Romelu Lukaku fiasco 
counts against her. And I think there's a lot of culpability of that on all in all sides. Tuchel, Lukaku himself. Um, she she built up a reputation within the industry of being a very very good and tough negotiator. If you talk to people within football who dealt with her, they're almost entirely full of admiration for the way she operated and respected her for what she brought to Chelsea Football Club. So let's not get completely tied into the failures of the of the last few months. Uh, she did do a good job at Chelsea overall, I, I think, uh, and she will be missed to a certain extent. But, you know, at some point, every club has to move on. Chelsea will still um, attract players. You know, they finished third, they're in the Champions League. They, they got Thomas Tuchel as coach. They've got some very, very good young players in, within the setup there. Um, they, they will be fine. Um, there is always a sense of panic and it's sort of heightened by social media, I think, um, when clubs aren't being seen to be doing business every single day of the summer. It's These things take time. It's going to take a bit more time because we've got a completely new regime in control of that club who are learning how the transfer market works. Let, let's judge it on September the 2nd. Um, on the face of it, it looks a, it looks a strange time to be you know, to be losing somebody who's been your main negotiator for that for a decade, but but I think we can only judge it on September the second, really. I mean, obviously Chelsea will miss her expertise, and it is very difficult for a club to lose a person like that. You know, we see. I mean, it's not it's not a perfect comparison, but we saw it with Man United and David Gill, for example, when they lost Gill and Woodward. Sorry, Gill and Ferguson at the same time in 2013. Like those kind of con- those kind of contacts and authority, they are very difficult to replace. On the other hand, from what you might call an optics perspective. She had to go, right? Like it's, it, she couldn't have stayed. You know, the the reason that Chelsea is being sold is because Abramovich was sanctioned by the UK government and by the EU because of his closeness to Vladimir Putin. Granovskaya's whole career is based on her closeness to Abramovich. Ever since all the way back, you know, long before he bought Chelsea back in the Sibnef days, the idea of having Abramovich, you know, this sale was forced by the UK government. The idea of having Abramovich's main lieutenant at the club. No matter how good she is at her job, and I genuinely don't have a view on that because I don't know enough about the situation, but it would have just been completely untenable. Like from the you know from from, a, from what you might call an optics or PR or even or even a moral perspective, to have Granovsky and Bruce Buck and Bramwich's main lieutenants continuing to work at the club under the Bowley Clearlake era. Uh, yeah, I quite agree. I mean, it was it was always going to happen. The only the only doubt I think people's minds was what, could they stretch it out a bit so that they could get through this transfer window? And you know, you're right on a moral level that that's that's. <laughs> there's no debate there I mean that's there was always going to be a clean break there was always going to be a clean break I mean look Bowley and, and Clearlake will want to run Chelsea in the way that they want to run Chelsea they don't they won't they won't be running it in the same way that Abramovich's people did and that, that we also have to take into account that Marina Granovskaya might not have wanted to have stayed in situ um, if she wasn't going to be able to do the job that she'd been doing under the previous regime I mean she, she may well have wanted to go as well so I think there's a it is a natural parting of the ways and it is right and it allows the new regime to put their own stamp on on the club and make it what they want it to be and even if you take the kind of Abramovich Putin angle out of it this is this is an issue which in, in other takeovers you do see quite a lot which is that you don't pay billions and billions of pounds for a football club and then necessarily want the people who 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 have run it before to continue to run it like so the Steve you know the Steve Parish Palace example obviously the numbers are smaller but that that's actually quite rare in the sense that the investors have continued to allow Parish to run the club but there's certainly been other clubs where you know that there's been talk of investment and then the question has come up well 
do we let the old guys run it continue to run it or do we do we bring in a new broom and sweep them away and run it ourselves so this is even aside from the kind of Abramovich context this is a really common issue I think you do get in a lot of takeovers and it's just a kind of bigger story in this case because it you know because of Abramovich and and how everything that's happened in 2022 so far the very fact that we're now on Wednesday morning and and uh Chelsea have you know confirmed the departure of of Marino Granovskaya, but 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 also confirmed that Todd Bowley will be acting as this interim um, sporting director until they name a, a full time replacement, and, and it will be on him to you know to continue the the recruitment or yeah to kickstart the recruitment effectively in this transfer window. Um, that 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 is an indication of where Chelsea are at the moment. They they will be looking for a long term replacement. They will be looking for somebody to come in and. And become the technical director, sporting director, whatever you want to call them, to oversee their recruitment department. Um, but as as with their player recruitment, they're in a situation where they're having to to improvise at the moment. And and with a new regime in, in control, this is it's, it's now falling upon Todd Bowley, who's not really got a lot of experience at all about negotiating football transfers, um, to oversee a, what will be quite a major overhaul this summer. Yeah, it'll be certainly something to keep an eye on, won't it, for all of us? And of course, we'll have all the best of the coverage on that. You can read more about it on The Athletic right now. We're just going to round it back then to the the crux of the issue that we were speaking about on this podcast, and that's the effect that the Winter World Cup will have on this summer transfer window. One of the issues, Jack, that we didn't talk about at the top, and I just want to finish with, is how much of a consideration it will be for clubs about the numbers that they need in their squads, how how they may keep open loan slots as well, because like you said at the top of this, there's a lot more matches, a lot quicker. The schedule between August and November is really, really tight. I just wonder how much of a consideration that will be from the club's perspective. I'm sure that clubs will err on the side of getting more players, getting more players through the door this summer, or having more, sorry, having more players in the squad for next season. Bigger squads. You know, yeah, bigger squads. The schedule is ridiculous. Like it's completely ridiculous. Like there's, you know, we're having what all six Champions League group games in an eight game, eight game window. There's a, a League Cup round three days after the World Cup final. There's a Premier League round on Boxing Day eight days after the World Cup final. Um, so the schedule is absurd. There's also the five subs rule to think about next season, which means that there's a better. It's better to have more good players. Like having a bigger squad is going to allow you. It's going to. It's more help, even more helpful to you week on week or sorry, game on game, than it was in the past. Um, so I think a lot of clubs will think, oh, you know, that 19-year-old we were going to loan out. Let, let's keep him in the building for this season or this kind of guy we can get on a freeze not that good but let's just get him in because you know you never know if this guy might get injured or he's got the world cup coming up which means his mind's not going to be on it or may or maybe they'll be thinking about the second half of next season which we haven't really talked about yet and they'll be thinking well if if my if two or three of my best players are going to the world cup semis or the world cup final and then they're going to come back and go straight and go straight into Premier League football when they're going to be physically exhausted and mentally drained. We're going to need some, you know, we're going to need some reinforcements. We're going to need some extra guys who can get on the pitch instead of the players who are going to be shattered post World Cup. So I really think clubs are going to be definitely inclined towards more players, bigger squads for next season. Yeah, the effect that the Winter World Cup is going to have on the second half of this season is definitely another podcast, Jack. So we'll save that <laughs> particular thought for another day because there's a lot to that as well. But Dom, yeah, I wonder how much actually fringe players might not be fringe players then uh, in in this first period of the season. We'll find out. I mean, I, I 
part of me wonders whether there, there would be more scope for players to take six month loans. Um, so that actually, say an elite club has got a. Uh, so let's let's use let's use Gilmore as an example. Gilmore's not going to get necessarily into the Chelsea first team. Um, certainly at the start of the season, where they'll have a lot of midfield options. Is there a sense in loaning him out for the first five six months of the season, so he gets a lot of game time somewhere else, and then? when Chelsea attack that post well really from Boxing Day onwards and the the rush of games they'll have as Jack says well they'll have players who are physically drained after the World Cup and definitely emotionally drained because whenever somebody comes off a major tournament they're always emotionally drained and and these guys would normally in a World Cup they'd they'd have a chance to go off and have a holiday and then come back and ease themselves back in and start again exactly so that's not going to be they're not going to have that luxury this time um, could they then recall a Gilmore come January to come back into the squad and 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 be potentially they could rely on him because he's had the game time, he's had the rhythm, he's had he's got the form behind him, just to carry them through that little period in in January February time where they where some of the World Cup players will be shattered, uh, and then hope that they they those guys re-energize for the for the run into their season. Like, I think I think all these things will come into clubs thinking they will they will they will be drawing up the sports scientists will be drawing up plans the recruitment departments will have to be thinking outside the box to try and work out how they make sure they have enough bodies in the building to see them through what will be an absolute slog of the season incidentally a slog of a season on the back of two years of complete and utter slog um, over the pandemic of of football played in weird circumstances um, and, and it, all of that will take its toll, and it will take its toll again this this season. So, it, it's I expect some wild and wonderful um, and creative ways that these these teams and and clubs will recruit and and plan ahead. Okay, well, if you want to know more about this topic, of course, you can go and read Dom's piece on the Athletic right now. How a Winter World Cup will affect the transfer window. But for the moment, thank you to Dom. Thank you to Jack as well. Jack has done a mailbag for all Tottenham fans as well. So go and check that out. Of course, you can find him on our weekly Spurs podcast, A View From The Lane as well. And Dom can usually be found on the Chelsea pod too, straight out of Cobham. Remember, you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month. Head to theathletic.com forward slash football pod for all the details. But for the moment, thank you for listening and we'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye. The Athletic.